welcome to the podcast for the journal Integrated Environmental Assessment and Management, better known as IEAM. I'm Jenny Shaw. Water is the most important substance on Earth. Without it, life would not exist. To ensure that water is safe for drinking, swimming, fishing, and to support wildlife, scientists are constantly updating the criteria that determine if a body of water is protective for biota health or safe for human consumption, recreation, or other designated use. In the United States, the Environmental Protection Agency recommends using environmental models in the development of water quality criteria. However, a variety of models exist, and they differ in their strengths, limitations, assumptions, and data requirements. A recent article in IEAM reviews a number of environmental models that are used in developing water quality criteria. We're joined today by lead author Brad Barnhart to hear more about the paper. Brad is a senior research scientist with NCASI, the National Council for Air and Stream Improvement, and a courtesy faculty member at Oregon State University. Hi, Brad. Thanks so much for chatting with us today. Hey, Jenny. Thanks for having me. So tell us about what prompted you to write this article. Yeah, so first, I just want to say thank you to Camille Flinders, who was a great co-author for this particular paper. She's a senior program manager at NCASI, and um, we've written a number of papers together. And honestly, she uh, contributed a huge amount to this work. So I just want to acknowledge her first. But yeah, what prompted us, you know, this paper is really an intersection between sort of my love of modeling and the importance of water quality criteria development in the United States. So I work for NCASI. We are an independent sort of science research organization that supports uh, the forest products industry. And so we're really interested in how sort of regulatory thresholds or uh, numeric water quality criteria impact both point sources, such as paper mills around the U.S., as well as uh, non-point sources, such as forestry landowners. So criteria are, are really important for our members, and there aren't a, really a lot of review papers that kind of review what sort of models are used and what types of models are used for criteria development. And so really that's what prompted it. I have a history of being a modeler with the EPA as a postdoc and then with the USDA as well, doing a lot of watershed modeling and water quality modeling. And so really, I don't know, I just have a big interest in models. And so that was a good intersection between my own scientific interests and sort of a scientific need to um, review current modeling uh, resources for criteria development. That's great. In pursuing your love of modeling, you and Camille have managed to create something that's going to be of great use. Now, in the paper, you discuss extensively uh, five types of models. Are some of these more commonly used than others? Yeah. You know, the first type of model that we review in the paper are conceptual models. And I would say these are probably the most important for any type of environmental application, in particular for criteria development. So I always just think of conceptual models as standing in front of a pegboard and putting up sticky notes of basically all the different variables or parameters or attributes that are important to a system. And then basically putting tacks and maybe string or lines that connect one or more of these different attributes 
and describe kind of their feedbacks, how they relate to each other, what are the drivers and what are the outcomes basically. So I really think conceptual models are kind of the foundation. They're, they're, they're really required to develop a problem scope to figure out what kind of problem you are tackling. Also, you can really kind of pinpoint where do you have data and where do you have a lot of knowledge about a system? And then conversely, you know, where do you not have a lot of data or you're really unsure about the mechanisms involved in the systems? So just to answer your question, I'd say conceptual models are important in any application. Some of the other models are more used for specific criteria development for specific designated uses. But conceptual models are definitely the most important. Are there some models that are more useful than others in criteria development? They're all useful for particular applications. I would say conceptual models are useful for all applications as sort of a first step. One example is empirical models are really useful for criteria development, in particular for protecting designated uses related to aquatic life. EPA has a lot of recommendations focused on what are the minimum data requirements and you know, how many species need to be tested, how much data needs to be available, measuring sort of toxicity levels of particular substances impacting different aquatic species. They also have a lot of guidance on you know, using regression models to derive water quality criteria that are protective then of those aquatic species. So empirical models, uh, regression-based models are really useful. And you know, not only can they be used with sort of national recommendations of data, but they can also, just the general model can be used with more local or regional data. So say state-specific or data you know, obtained from a particular local water body, that data can be used in a regression model, for instance, to derive site-specific criteria. I feel like those models can be especially useful. Stakeholder outreach is another important part. Sometimes if you have really complex models, it's very difficult to get buy-in and support from broad stakeholders because it's so complicated and it's difficult to understand. So there's a lot of value in using conceptual models and even simple sort of regression-based empirical models that use local data when you use simpler approaches, people can understand them easier. And oftentimes you can get similar answers as the more complicated methods, but at the same time, it's more approachable and people can understand the results. The paper briefly mentions about combining model types and the potential benefits of doing so. Can you discuss that a bit more here? Absolutely. I think the example that the paper really drives home is that one opportunity for combining modeling types is to incorporate probabilistic distributions into the other types of models. So a great example of that is uh, water quality criteria for the protection of human health through consumption of fish. Currently, EPA recommends using a risk-based deterministic equation that characterizes exposure to a particular substance by a particular category of human being. So they assume that body weight of this human being is 80 kilograms. They assume that they eat 22 grams of fish per day and that they consume 2.4 liters of untreated surface water every day for their entire life. 
and so it's fine for an assumption, but you run into problems when you're trying to characterize an entire national population given one set of exposure characteristics. One very simple way of kind of improving that analysis is to incorporate distributions for each of those inputs describing exposure patterns. So EPA has statistical distributions for body weight, as well as fish consumption and uh, drinking water intake or consumption of untreated surface water intake. And so by using these distributions, instead of just assuming one point estimate for each of these input values, you can really add more realism to your model. Thanks for that, Brad. And I wanna mention uh, for the listeners that there is a table in the paper that talks about potential models that could be combined and their possible uses. In the paper, you talk about how the EPA has recommendations for some of the models and how they support the use of models and criteria development. But are these models not actually required by the EPA in criteria development? You know, criteria development is a huge topic, and it, it really depends on what designated use you're protecting. EPA generally puts out recommendations and then each individual state can either accept these recommendations and adopt these as their own water quality criteria, or they can develop state-specific or regional or even local site-specific scientifically sound alternative methods. So EPA doesn't require the use of models, but in a lot of its recommendations, they describe the use of empirical models or mechanistic models, or even Bayesian models to produce criteria that are protective of either aquatic life, human health, or say, for instance, recreational exposures to water contaminations. So EPA does not necessarily require, but it offers recommendations that states can basically assess and determine whether or not those are appropriate for their particular state. Are there particular types of models that you would like to see the EPA provide more guidance for? So the peer-reviewed literature has a lot of literature on Bayesian analyses. And we talk a little bit about this in the paper, sort of touch on it, but don't go into it in too great a detail. But in the peer-reviewed literature, there is a lot of resources talking about applications of Bayesian sort of risk-based frameworks and Bayesian analyses but you don't really see that translated into water quality criteria development so much. EPA has released, let's see, a frequently asked questions document for developing nutrient criteria for lakes, ponds, and reservoirs. And in those general nutrient criteria documents, they do talk about Bayesian methods, but I haven't seen sort of a generic recommendation from EPA focused more on Bayesian methods. So I could see that being of interest where maybe EPA would reflect on some of the reviews out there in the peer-reviewed journals and be able to provide its kind of reactions or its recommendations for states. Brad, thank you so much for joining us today. This paper is a really useful tool for people working to develop water quality criteria. Yeah, thanks so much. You've been listening to Brad Barnhart discuss his article, a review of regulatory modeling frameworks supporting numeric water quality criteria development in the United States. Access the article in the January 2023 issue of IEAM. Just go to ctechjournals.org.
I'm Jenny Shaw, and thank you for listening to the IEAM podcast.